and welcome to Best Laid Plans. This is your host, Sarah Hart Unger, and this is the podcast where we talk all things planning and planning adjacent. This is episode 111, and it airs in mid-September, and it's going to be an all Q&A episode as I've had a little time to accumulate some more of your wonderful questions, and I thought it would be fun to address some of these, especially because some of them are a little bit seasonal. So without going into it further, I am going to dive into question one, which comes from a listener named Elizabeth. Elizabeth writes, you posted asking for episodes ideas. I wanted to add my vote for an episode or question about sustainable holiday seasons. I loved one poster's comment about the logistics and managing of family emotions taking all the enjoyment out of the season because that so perfectly describes my own feelings. I think this could apply to either Thanksgiving slash Hanukkah slash Christmas slash New Year's or the May season of the year where so many events tend to happen, such as Mother's Day, graduations, and other school events. One difficult facet of the holidays for me is that with people who have very different planning styles or approaches than I do, but who I absolutely have to coordinate with during the holidays. For me, this comes up especially with my in-laws, but I know for other people it might come up with their own families of origin or friends. I struggle with everything from managing family expectations, trying to balance family time so we see all of our extended family but still have time just for my family of four and our traditions, getting all of the presents and food taken care of, and trying to keep my kiddos from going off the rails during events that are really not kid-friendly or at kid-friendly times but which our attendance is still expected. I would love any insight you or other listeners and blog readers could offer. And that's from a listener, as I said, named Elizabeth. I love this question, and I love the timing of this question, because even though I recognize that the holiday season is way off at this juncture and seems far away, it's really not that far away, and it's probably going to be better for most of us to take some time now to think about what that future might look like or what we want it to look like, rather than dive into it and then kind of deal with the mayhem as it's happening. So I just really applaud Elizabeth for taking the time to start thinking of this before it's actually happening. My first thought is I'm going to take a card from Kendra Adachi, who does the Lazy Genius podcast and has a wonderful philosophy that she shares in various mechanisms, which is name what matters. Because Elizabeth, you mentioned a lot of different obligations, events, hosting, activities, And I have to imagine that probably some of those are more important to you than others. And you were moved to write the question because currently the number that you're currently taking part in, it sounds like is a little too much for you. So I would sit there and I would take some time and think about what matters. And I'm also going to add my own um, philosophy to this. I guess it's a philosophy now. I just made it up, but it's space out the fun, meaning that... A day crammed with four quote-unquote fun things in a row can cease to feel fun when it feels too hectic or too tiring. And this may be my own bias in being kind of a lazy traveler, lazy vacationer, but when I have time off, I don't want to be frantic. I don't want to be running from one thing to another. So think about how you might be able to think about what are truly highlights for you during this fun season and then where those things belong and whether you can space them out. Because if you truly can't space them out, it probably won't be fun for you and you're going to be taking away from any individual event by trying to do so much. So I highly recommend sitting down soon, yes, in September on a quiet morning or afternoon and writing out what is truly important to you during this holiday season, what matters. 
Things you might be choosing from could include decorations, a special meal with family or multiple special meals, hosting or not hosting, travel, things like cookie baking or recipe exchanging or things like that, community celebrations or religious celebrations, gift giving, and sending cards. Now, depending on which holidays you participate in, obviously this might be different seasons of the year, but if you celebrate either Hanukkah or Christmas, or if you're in the U.S. and celebrating Thanksgiving or celebrating Canadian Thanksgiving, a lot of these tend to come up all at once, and so you really need to think about which are truly priorities for you and which matter a little bit less that you might be able to either really simplify or cross off the list entirely. Really think about whether there's some rituals you've held on to just because you were doing them before. Sometimes we just automatically put things on the calendar and recognize that, you know, your kids are a little older and sitting on Santa's lap wasn't as much fun the last couple years. I've actually never had a personal experience with anyone on Santa's lap because we don't celebrate Christmas, but I can imagine that that would get old as your kids get older. Think about whether there's things that you could still do, but maybe in a much more simple way, like send out a holiday postcard with an automated list of addresses rather than doing a fancy handwritten gift for um, a large list of people. You also might want to think about simplifying things in the family and discussing that with all the stakeholders. And I think people might get a little bit less emotional about it when this is addressed well in advance that when everyone then closer to the event when everybody already kind of has their expectations in mind. So maybe this might be a fun year to do a holiday gift exchange via an app rather than buying a bunch of individual gifts for everyone. You might cite budget constraints or environmental sustainability constraints in kind of paring this down to something more reasonable and try to get things to a level that is still fun for you. Like you don't wanna say no to everything and then feel like you know everyone else got to celebrate and you didn't do anything, but by choosing just a few things to really go big on and enjoy, I think that might end up kind of helping let those things stand out and be fun rather than just another item on a crowded to-do list. The other thing I would say is that Something about the question and the way you wrote it and the mention of family members makes me wonder about boundaries. And I am not a boundaries expert. You can look to Nedra Tawab's work. Dr. Nedra Tawab is a, I think, psychologist, and she's done some amazing work around boundaries. I've listened to her on a number of podcasts, and I have her book on my to-be-read list. But I, I really do think the idea of boundaries deserves a lot of weight, and I think the holiday season is a wonderful time to think about that. So, for example, in Hosting Others, Is there a kind and gentle way that you could place the types of boundaries that you're comfortable with that around it? Examples, you might decide, you know, in lieu of hosting this year, I have searched some Airbnbs in the area and I thought we could all, you know, share one place together so that we, there wasn't one host with all the responsibilities on them. Or maybe a boundary might look like shortening the number of days that you are opening your home to others. Or maybe creating some shared responsibilities if people are staying with you around mealtimes or or other things. So again, there's no right answer of how to do this, but thinking through if there is a possible way to create some boundaries that would make things more comfortable and fun for you, then it would be worth doing. And then again, just really paying attention to timeline and making sure that this is fun for you and you're not just doing the fun making for others. It's fun to do fun making for others. And if you are the you know, female head of household, then you probably are going to be placed in that role fairly automatically. But again, this is your life too, and you matter as well. So make it fun for yourself. I actually enjoyed this prompt, this question, because it made me think through what matters for me this season. And I think that, I mean, 
There are some things I want to pare down and some things I do want to do. We are going to do holiday cards, so I'm going to space out that fun by making sure I update my address list kind of early, and I put a note in my planner to remind me to do that. I'm going to send all my cards electronically, so no handwriting to make things easy. I'm going to hopefully delegate a lot of the Hanukkah gift buying to my husband because he's pretty good at that and has done really well with it in the past, so... He's probably listening to this thinking, hey, (laughs) but we'll see how that goes. And I will enjoy making one or two dishes for Thanksgiving and really not worrying about the rest. And then finally, I think I'm going to try to take one full day off with childcare over winter break because I just suspect I'm going to need it. My husband is going to be working and we're going to be taking a family vacation with him in the part that he's not working. So I think I'll need one day of rest and relaxation. So I'll try to fit that in. So yeah. That's my thinking through the holidays, and I encourage you to do your own. All right. Our next question comes from a listener who writes in about tracking. She wrote, I'm trying to track habits such as various exercises I want to do every day or reading, but I'm having some trouble with it. Sometimes I forget to do the things I want to track, and sometimes I do them but forget to track them, which is still an okay outcome. During the pandemic, I used to track around four habits in my weekly view of my bullet journal, and it worked for me. This is Sarah now because I'm interrupting the question, but side note, yes, the pandemic, the early days of the pandemic was like tracking heaven because every day you were just kind of thinking about one day at a time. And I agree that was like a prime time for tracking and it worked for me very well as well. All right, back to the question. She writes, now I'm using mostly a weekly planner and keep some lists in my bullet journal. I've tried a few options for tracking, separate trackers on my bullet journal for all habits, which I kept open on my desk, but that didn't work for me. I thought the issue was that I was trying to track too many things, so now I try to track only one thing, and I do it in my planner by checking a check mark next to the day, but sometimes I still forget to mark it. When I tried to track my reading, I think the issue was that I often read before bedtime and then forgot to track it in the morning. For other habits, I'm not sure what is the cause. Do you have any tips on how to remember tracking? Or maybe I should just focus on making habits stick in another way. So this is a great question and a great topic. I did do an episode all about tracking, the upsides, the downsides, the ugly sides. It was kind of a fun episode. So if I can remember, I will link to that episode. I'm terrible about linking to my own material, by the way. I need to get better. But anyway, the gist of that is that tracking is optional. There is no rule that says you have to track. You don't get an A plus in life if you track and a D if you don't. Do it if it helps you or brings you joy. I personally find it very motivating and kind of fun, and that's why I enjoy tracking certain things. But even I don't like to track everything, and I totally understand why tracking may not suit any one person for any specific habit necessarily. I do agree with your use of one habit at a time if you are trying to get into tracking. And I would say try to put the tracking in a place that you know you are going to look at regularly anyway. You mentioned a weekly planner. So I think that if you're in the habit of looking at your weekly spread as you're starting your day to kind of see what you have going on that day, then that would be a wonderful place to put a tracker. You could either turn to your monthly page, like have a little reminder on that weekly page, hey, turn to your monthly calendar to track, or you could make a little mini tracker on your weeklies by just making a little grid with, you know, the habit on one axis and the days of the week on the other. 
You could also um, really think about like a ritual of when you'd want to track. So maybe it's when you first check your email, it prompts you to go ahead and track what you've read. There's no rule that you have to track something immediately after you did it. And there's certainly no rule that you have to be perfect. If you miss a day or a week, you can always revisit tracking later. You can fill in prior days. You can make a rule to yourself that you don't fill in the days. Again, you get to make the rules. That's kind of the key to all this. And so um, you'll have to decide what works best. Personally, I really enjoy tracking reading on a monthly spread so I can kind of see the progression of books read or see when I'm getting tripped up. Like currently I am, I can tell by looking at my own tracker that I'm reading a book that I'm totally getting stuck in. Like it's like a novel I'm halfway through and I'm just like, I want to know the ending, but I don't really want to read the book. And that's a cue to me that maybe I should just go ahead and switch up my reading so that I enjoy reading again and kind of keep moving. Again, no rules for any of this, but that has been what's worked for me. And you will have to let us know if you end up trying this in a more kind of low pressure, maybe weekly fashion. All right, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we will be right back with a few more questions. Today's episode is brought to you in part by PrepDish. As many of us know, it's back to school season, a time when we're juggling multiple activities and homework and just a lot of things. PrepDish is a tool that means one less thing to worry about. It makes meal planning so much easier. I use PrepDish almost every week, printing out the week's recipes on Sunday and creating my own grocery list by adding her list plus our other staples. And then I get to put a big check beside meal planning in my planner for the week. You can spend a chunk of time on Sunday afternoon or do some of the prep ongoing throughout the week, and you are guaranteed a week's worth of healthy and delicious dinners. The recipes truly are simple yet fantastic. I loved this week's broccoli rice and chicken bowl with a lemon basil sauce, and I'm super excited for all of the fall foods to show up as Prep Dish definitely leans into the seasons. At our house, we use the super fast menus, but she has additional plans as well if you have specific dietary needs like low-carb or gluten-free. The founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial to check it out. So this is a great way to see if the plans will work for you. It might be a wonderful addition as you are building your own back-to-school routine this fall. Check out prepdish.com slash plans for this amazing deal. In addition to the super fast menus that I know and love, they also have gluten-free, paleo, and low-carb options. So there's really something for everyone. Again, that's prepdish.com slash plans for your first two weeks free. If you try it, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. I'm so excited for Crunch Labs to be sponsoring a part of this podcast. Crunch Labs are STEM subscription build-it-yourself boxes for kids, and my 10-year-old has been into Crunch Labs for months. He started watching these awesome engineering videos with Mark Rober and was hooked at the very first box. The kids have accompanying videos and step-by-step instructions, so he's able to build them entirely on his own, and the stuff he makes with these kids is really cool. This summer, they are hosting something awesome called Camp Crunch Labs, where kids get 12 build-it-yourself toys with one shipped every week, plus access to exclusive Mark Rober videos and weekly challenges that are so much fun to do and also filled with engineering nuggets, so they're definitely learning as they go, even if they don't always realize that. Camp Crunch Labs starts in June, so it's a great time to check this out and get in on the action. Go to crunchlabs.com plans to sign your kids up for Camp Crunch Labs today. If you visit by using that URL, crunchlabs.com slash plans, you will get two boxes free. That's a $60 value. Again, that's crunchlabs.com slash plans to sign up for Camp Crunch Labs and receive two boxes free. I am thrilled to welcome sponsor Jenny Kane back to the show. 
you can shop with code PLANS for 15% off. And let me tell you, there are some absolutely amazing summer pieces to choose from. Jenny Kane has a minimalist yet luxurious vibe, and the fabrics in their clothing are just perfection. For summer, think light cotton and linen, breezy silhouettes, and simple elegance. They have dresses that can be styled in so many ways to make them perfect for any occasion, and their cotton knits are perfect vacation staples. You will layer them over everything, and they can elevate every look. Jenny Kane also has amazing accessories from the perfect classic belt to gorgeous summer sandals. Enjoy a summer wardrobe refresh with Jenny Kane for pieces that will truly last for seasons to come. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code PLANS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code PLANS. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Embrace your summer aesthetic with Jenny Kane. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Earth Breeze Eco Sheets, dermatologist-tested hypoallergenic liquidless laundry detergent. I love Earth Breeze because it's more convenient than jugs of liquid laundry detergent. It's more environmentally friendly, and it works. Earth Breeze got rid of unnecessary chemicals for a formula that's kind to sensitive skin of all ages, including babies. And their lightweight cardboard packaging takes up just a fraction of the space in your laundry room versus traditional detergent. Just think, these tiny sheets can stop millions of detergent jugs from entering our ecosystems. In fact, 500 million detergent jugs end up in landfills and oceans every single year. That is a lot of plastic. To make things as easy as possible, EarthBreeze offers a flexible subscription so you never have to run out. I love the reduction in plastic and how well EarthBreeze works with sensitive skin. I definitely recommend giving it a try. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com plans. That's earthbreeze.com plans to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. That's earthbreeze.com plans. All right, I am back from our break with a few more questions. The first one being about a specific planner ask. This listener wrote in, wanting me to do kind of a planner matchmaking, which I do get a fair number of these requests and I don't always have great answers, but this one was kind of like in my wheelhouse. So here we go. She writes, I'm a longtime listener of Best of Both Worlds and Best Laid Plans. I'm a full-time practicing lawyer and mom of three, so I have a lot to keep track of. I first heard of Hobonichi when you mentioned it on Best of Both Worlds and I've been using their planners ever since. Now you've got me thinking about Erin Condren and I am drawn to the tabs and colors. My question is this, have you ever encountered a planner system that has the tabs and colors of Erin Condren and maybe even the coil binding, but the square grid daily pages of a Hobonichi Techo? It doesn't look like the Erin Condren planners have a grid option, but I've come to love writing in the grid so much that I don't think I could ever go back to line paper. Thanks in advance for any tips you have and keep up the great content. Aw, I love this question. Mostly because I love Erin Condren and I love Hobonichi and you know the best collaboration ever would be one between the two of them with a Hobonichi layout but Erin Condren paper and color. So I would just be signing up for that immediately and maybe they will hear this and it will happen for next year. But I wouldn't hold my breath because Hobonichi is very much obsessed with their Tomoe River paper which is very special and very different from what Erin Condren uses but it's a fun fantasy. All right, so my ideas for this are number one, Amplify. Amplify has daily, weekly, and monthly pages, and they do make heavy use of grids, which I also love. So that is definitely one to look at. And I link to a specific Amplify planner that I will 
include in the show notes. Amplify used to just make quarterly planners, and I did a review of them, I believe, in the beginning part times of this podcast. If I didn't, I'll have to do one. But they've now come out with a yearly planner that is monthly and weekly pages, so that would be a really great option. And their paper is lovely, like very thick and gel pen friendly and kind of similar, not quite as textured, but somewhat similar to the Erin Condren paper. Another thought is that you could actually go with like a hemlock and oak, either a daily or a weekly, or if you want the daily, I know their pages are gridded, which is what you're looking for. And it has that lovely paper kind of, again, kind of thick and bright white and similar to Erin Condren in some ways. And you could rainbow it up. You know, you can always put your own tabs on planners. I actually did have some Erin Condren rainbow tags on my Hemlock and Oak planner when I was using it. So there's always that option as well. And you could dress up the pages themselves with stickers. Another option is Whistle and Birch, which is on Etsy, and it's a weekly, daily, and monthly planner that's quite big and incredibly customizable. So I will link to that listing. I have actually, um, disclaimer, never held a Whistle and Birch in person, but I was referred to it by some listeners who really like it. So that's another kind of unique option that would give you the gridded pages you're looking for. And then finally, one that came to me as I was answering this, I didn't even include it in my notes, would be a golden coil because they are very customizable. You could get a nice colorful cover. They do have O-rings, not kind of the same spiral binding that Erin Condren has. But because it's so customizable, you could include as many gridded pages as you want because I know that they have that as one of their options. All right. The next question is a really interesting one. It comes from a listener named Vicky. She writes, my question revolves around how to record your yearly notes and achievements. I use a page a day diary to do this for each year and have found this useful for personal activities and achievements, as well as work related ones, which have been very useful for CV building and application writing. But I've now gotten to a point where I have all 10 plus of these full size diaries, and it's just not practical space wise to keep them all. Have you any recommendations of what I can do? Is there a product you know of where I can record yearly highlights, achievements and key moments in one place? My memory is appalling. So I'd love to record them somewhere less bulky. I love this idea, and it's not something that I really do unless you count my use of the five-year journal, and I'll mention a five-year journal in a second, but I kind of love the idea of like a book that you keep for a solid decade that just has a collection of different types of wins, maybe in different sections, and this could be, I don't think there's an actual product out there, but you could use a binder, you could use a notebook that you put tabs on. And then you could just make separate sections, like one for work wins, one for highlight reel photos and and experiences, one for personal achievements, one for experiences to remember, things like that. And then over time, you could just keep adding until it got to be full. And I bet this could last a number of years. So that would be really, really cool. If you did that, using some kind of binder would probably be best, maybe like an Erin Condren ring agenda filled with blank paper or a um, super, I've been looking at these super luxe planners called Plotter, plotterusa.com. They have leather covers, special paper, and that might be a really like special place that you could keep a long time diary journal of like a decade's worth of achievements. That would be really, really cool for that. In addition, uh, I do have a five-year journal that I use. I use it more as like a daily, like what happened today. So I don't really feel like it's what you're looking for because mine isn't just highlights, it's kind of everything. But I will say it's a pretty compact book for five years worth of experiences and notes. And I am now two years in. Not every single day is filled in, but most of them are. And I'm super excited to just, you know, keep it for all five years and be able to look back over what I did on some random day in October. 
over that period of my life, especially because, you know, I started it in 2021 and I realized my kids were at these very special ages, like these school age, I don't know, core ages. And I just wanted to to capture what that was like over that five-year period. So that is another idea as well, although not exactly what you were looking for. All right, our last question comes from Julie, and she is asking for a planner matchup specific to kids. So she writes, I am a super fan of your podcast. My daughter is starting eighth grade and needs a paper planner for school. She is looking for a good student planner. We're open to any advice. Julie. Okay, so for the age group that you're mentioning, like middle school, I think a weekly view is best because it's just the easiest to track activities and assignments. And I don't think daily is necessary for that age group and could be very, very overwhelming. So a few ideas I had, number one is to check out Mochi Things or Mochi Things actually, it's probably pronounced because they have a number of 2022 options for sale that are quite inexpensive right now. And you could always get one that's not the academic year, but that for 2022 to try out and see if they work with your eighth grader because they have a lot of really fun and kind of teen friendly options, fun colors, et cetera. So I'll link to a couple that I saw on there, but the website is Mochi Things and they, you really can't go wrong. The second would be an Erin Condren. Um, I actually just bought my 10-year-old and it arrived and she's super excited. An A5 softbound Erin Condren academic planner. She got the really colorful one, which might be more for like an upper elementary school age kid, but they have more subtle ones as well. The paper is lovely and they're, they're quite functional. Like there's a lot of space to write checklists of what you're getting done each day, your activities, a monthly page for long-term projects, which I think could be really useful for a middle schooler. So that would be one great option. And of course, it's got the lovely Erin Condren paper that we all know and love. Number three, Passion Planner is very popular among the like teen and college age groups. So that is one to check out. They have a weekly academic collection. It's very nicely designed. And if they really wanted to kind of see exactly where the hours of their week are going, that would be one to do that because it's written in kind of an hourly format. The Amanda Rach Lee bullet journal style planner is awesome for teens as well. I actually gifted it to multiple nieces and nephews um, for the holidays last year, but it is only a calendar release and not an academic release. So that would be another option. And then finally, if they are into more minimalist sleek looks, the Jibun Techo is a really, really cute and functional and portable planner that is a little bit cheaper than a Hobonichi. I think they're going for in the, in the 40s on jet pens right now. And the Jibun has kind of a vertical weekly view. It does need to be somebody who writes um, fairly small. So if your middle schooler has like a big sprawling hand, this is not gonna be a good option. But if they're like a dainty writer, then this might work really, really well. And it has a durable vinyl cover and is quite compact as well. So I hope this overview gives you some fun options and you'll have to let me know which one your eighth grader goes with. All right, this has been a really, really fun episode answering your questions. I did not have a new planner piece submission this week, so I guess I have not been plugging hard enough, but you please keep those planner piece submissions coming. It may be that everyone's kind of like not feeling planner piece right now this late in the year and thinking about what they want their 2023 system to look like, which always happens right around Hobonichi release time for me, so I 100% understand. But if you are in a planner piece kind of a place, please send that along to me and I would love to share it with the listeners. As always, you can find the show notes at my blog, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com. You can submit questions that way or just send me an email at shoeboxblog.com, S-H-U-B-O-X-B-L-O-G at gmail.com. Or you can always send me an audio question as well. 
Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed hearing this Q&A today and I will be back next week with more planning fun. Have a wonderful week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.